Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome back to the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and joining us this week from the land down under is Matt Morisoli. He's going to talk to us about his big, bad, beautiful chaos list, which for those of you keeping score at home, yes, this is three weeks in a row that we get to talk about wonderful chaos, but each list is different and unique, so it's going to be fun. Joining me as always is the one and only Nick Nanavati, the veritable Tom Brady of Warhammer 40k to help break us break help us break down this discussion. As always, this is part one where we get into the strategy of the list, what's in the list, why is it there? What other things do we consider for the list? And, and what's the overall strategy of the list? And in part two, we'll get into the tactics of the list, which is how do we play this list optimally in this particular situation? You can think about part one as a macro discussion and part two as a micro discussion. Okay, Nick, why don't you go ahead, introduce Matt, talk about why he is awesome, which this might take a while, everyone, so strap in, and then let's get into the discussion about the list. That was a really good intro, John. I'm proud of you. Well done. Hey, second time's a charm. That's what I always say. Second time's a charm. They don't even know about the first. Anyways, Mr. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Awesome to have you. For those of you who don't know, Matt is a member of the WTTG Stream team in Australia. He's been a member for multiple years, including their best showing last year when they uh, got third place, was it? Australia? Uh, fourth, yeah. Just got oh, pipped pip so by you boys at the end. Mm-hmm. But they made it to the final round, and that's what counts. So, uh, really accomplished chaos player. He's known for very aggressive army lists and very creative uh, different play styles, as a lot of Australian armies tend to be for most Americans. So, we're here to strap on and learn, as he said. So, Matt, do you want to uh, just walk us through your list? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, it's broken up into three detachments. I know a lot of uh, lists are not running the three anymore because of CP constraints, but I thought all the bits and pieces I got from it were you know, sort of justified in taking the three detachments. So the first one is a Chaos Undivided Patrol. Uh, it's got the, the Lord of Change with all the good stuff, the, the minus one damage, the Aura of Mutability, uh, and the uh, Impossible Robe. So he's super, super tough to kill. Uh, I've got two squads of five Beasts of Nurgle and three Nurglings in that detachment. Um, I've then got a uh, Slanesh Demons Patrol with a pair of Exalted Keepers of Secrets. Um, one of them is running the minus one to wound uh, from shooting uh, Exalted Trait, and the other one I just roll for each game. Uh, and there's also 10 Demonettes in there uh, because I had to more than anything else. I needed a way to get those uh, those Keepers in a Slanesh detachment. And then we've got what I think is sort of the uh, the juicy, the fun part of this list, which is a Chaos Space Marines uh, Empress Children Patrol. Uh, and in that one, I've got a Terminator Sorcerer, a squad of 10 Cultists, and then two big bricks of 10 Chaos Terminators. Uh, they're all running the Lightning Claws and Bolters. There's two autocannons in one, one autocannon in the other, and they've both got uh, icons of excess. Uh, yeah, that's it. Awesome. So that's a really, really powerful list. It's got pretty much all the good units you like to see in Chaos. It's got the on-kill blower change. It's got Keepers. It's got Beast and Nurgle. It's got... Slanty Shepherd's children's stuff, which just turns me on a little bit, the Terminators. So how does it all come together? That's the question, Cassis, because there's always some synergy stuff going on. 
Well, actually, let, let me frame the question a little better if I can. <clears throat> what what was your like what what inspired you to build this list? Let's start there. What was the first thing you were like that caused you to put pen to paper? Like what was the overriding thought? Yeah. Um, so when I was starting to play ninth edition, uh, where I live in Victoria in Australia, we were in a really, really heavy lockdown from about June in 2020. So ninth edition came out and we just couldn't play games. And I had some mates up in Queensland who are also part of uh, the Art of War Down Under team. Uh, and one of those uh, is Dan, uh, Dan Savage. And he was playing some similar lists with Beasts of Nurgle, not, not quite the same as this. It was more like it was big bricks of beasts with a, a great unclean one to keep them healthy and horticulous to you know give them plus one to hit and things like that. And I really, really liked the beasts. Uh, I didn't really see many other people playing them, albeit you know there weren't that many uh, you know there weren't that many tournaments going on, so there weren't really that many inspiration sources to draw from. But when I first picked up uh, the edition, I was playing a bit of Sisters, a bit of Chaos, and when I started writing Chaos lists, uh, I started just with the beasts, the uh, the keepers, and Lord of Change. Uh, a few weeks before this event, we actually were supposed to get on a plane and go to Queensland and play in a team event. And they went into a small lockdown uh, about an hour before my flight. So I unfortunately had to turn around in the car. I was driving there in and go back home. And I had a very similar version of this list going on then uh, without the Empress Children stuff. This was pre-FAQ. Uh, so the points dropped from Terminators hadn't come through yet. And I was using Bloodletters instead. And then I had a big brick of summoning points and some extra beasts. So when the Terminator points drop came in, uh, they are uh, just... Look, they're not obsec, but I just think they're better than the bloodletters are. The bloodletters are cheaper, obviously, but the terminators just do so many things. So I stripped five beasts out of the list. Um, I stripped all my summoning points out of the list. I rejigged a few things, and now the terminators are twenty-eight points model with a combi bolter and a lightning claw. They're just they're so so points efficient uh, that one unit sort of straight swaps in for the bloodletters, and then the second unit. Uh, you know, comes in uh, over the top of some beasts and a few other bits and pieces I pulled out of the list and it just feels like it adds a lot more power. So it's been a bit of a, you know, a refined process over the last three months or so. Um, and given that I sort of didn't have many places to draw inspiration from, I've just played with what's been working well for me, playing as my mates and, you know, in my spare room in my house. That's uh, that's kind of how we got here. It's really interesting that you look at your Terminators like better bloodletter bombs because when I look at your Terminators, I think, you know, this is 10 Terminators. This is like a powerful unit I want to have sticking around and being a mainstay part of my army. But when I think of bloodletter bombs, I think there's something that is a bomb. You set it off and it explodes. So, you know, they're a lot more expensive to kind of fire and forget as a missile. How do you cope with that? So I think bloodletter bombs in ninth play a really different role to the way they did in eighth. In eighth, you drop them down you charge them in, you kill something, and then they would die. Um, I actually, I remember having this conversation with you, Nick, at ETC in Serbia about me running multiple small units versus one large unit. And I was finding that I wanted the the continual pressure for multiple turns, be able to drop a bomb in, charge stuff, fight things, kill things, get onto objectives, take up space. Um, the Terminators kind of do the same thing here. It's, uh, you know, they are, obviously they are more expensive, but they come down, they shoot, they potentially double shoot, they have... You know, different ways to get buffs with Vets of Long War, Prescience, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and then obviously they've got the the really, really juicy Honor the Prince stratagem to get, make a really reliable charge. And I use them for a very similar thing. They come in, they take up space, they push, you know, they, they, they shoot and they, they provide the anti-horde this list doesn't really have outside of the Terminators. So with all the bolters and shooting twice and that sort of thing. But then they make really reliable charges and they get onto objectives, they take up space. They kill things pretty efficiently with the lightning claws. You know, they're not the best weapon in the world, but they are free now. Uh, so you can't really complain about a lightning claw when it costs you nothing. Um, 
and yeah, I, I kind of feel like I use them the same way that other players, uh, in my you know, in my opinion, should be using blood letters right now. In that they, you know, they push things off objectives, they take up space, they make reliable charges, they yeah, they just get in your opponent's face. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially just with the way this list plays with keepers and Lord Change. I imagine you can be really forward in your face, be centered, go holding the lines pretty steady, yep. and then much more durable blood letter bombs show up. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, is that what kind of how would you deploy this army? I guess your your plan is to essentially run across the table and hit them out really hard, but it's with respect to terrain and screens and stuff to that. So how do you just approach the game there? Uh, it really depends on what I'm playing against and what the terrain looks like, what the mission is. Uh, I think this is really good because there are a lot of different ways to play it. Uh, if anyone is super interested, uh, there are four games on YouTube on the Art of War YouTube channel. Uh, from my event in Adelaide, and then there are three on the Art of War Down Under, uh, the Twitch page, um, where you can see me deploying this army and playing this army uh, against a wide range of different opponents. Um, I, I guess it really comes down to how likely, uh, sorry, how vulnerable the keepers are, and what uh, you know secondary traits I roll on the second keeper. So if the keepers are relatively invulnerable from shooting, I can deploy them up and sort of you know in my opponent's face. If they're not, I'll deploy them behind an obscuring ruin and I'll play them from further back and I'll just accept that I'm not probably not going to be charging with them on the first turn. I think that um, keepers are really, really powerful units, but a lot of people fall into the trap of just deploying them on the line because there is a chance they can roll and make a first uh, first turn charge. Uh, but at the same time, I think you need a lot of discipline when using them because at the end of the day, they've got 16 wounds, and they've got a 6 plus fillet pain, but they are just a 5 plus save model. Uh, that you know can get plinked down and at least you know bracketed very very easily. Uh, then I guess the terminators are, are, are probably the, the biggest bit of uh, tech that changes game to game. Some games I'll deploy a unit. So in games where I really want uh, to have the firepower early on, um, I'll deploy a unit pretty centrally. In my last game uh, on the top table uh, to actually win this event against Brian, he was playing Harlequins, and it was a four objective mission. So I deployed them into central ruin where they were essentially on my home objective. And when they stepped out of that ruin, they had access to shoot either of the two in the center. Um, and that just provided a whole lot of fire support there. And then I just sort of put the beasts on either side of the Terminators, run them up the board, try and get them on objectives, um, usually supported with the Lord of Change. And then the beasts being able to heroically intervene as well as the Lord of Change can sort of bubble up together and protect an objective really, really well. And then you sort of get this impossible you know, decision of, do I shoot the keepers that are running at me or do I shoot the beasts in the water change that are holding an objective in the middle or do I shoot the terminators that are in the backfield that are putting out fire support and have the threat to warp time forward and charge me uh, super, super reliably at sort of 17 inches minimum threat range. They, they just automatically get that in. Uh, it, it really changes game to game depending on what, you know, what sort of firepower and what sort of terrain I've got. Yeah, I really like that. It's a super flexible list. I was imagining the Terminator's pretty much always deep struck and just he's on the Prince to charge in, but it makes sense that they do pump out a ton of Kelpie Bolt or Fire and they are pretty hard to shift and then they threat overload or even faster that way. So I like that. Um is there do you think there's a general rule of thumb for players? Uh look, I I would say most games the Terminator's deep strike. Uh most games the keepers will deploy behind a, you know, a ruin. Obviously the, the more of your stuff you can protect in the, the chance that you go second, the better. The more stuff you can hide on the first turn, you know, right right now going second is so strong and uh, it's such an advantage if you can deploy defensively and go second and almost guarantee that 15 primary on the last turn. Uh, it, it, it makes it so that you want to deploy defensively almost all the time and that does mean 
in 90% of games, you'll deep strike all the Terminators. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, John, is there anything else you want to add there? I just wanted to point out, it seems like uh, durability is sort of a a strength of this list. Am I seeing that right? I mean, you've got a lot of stuff that's really hard to shift. Yeah, so I I made this passing comment. It actually got picked up and mentioned on the stream a couple of times. I got to game six, I think it was, and I'd I'd lost no more than sort of three or four units in any one of my games. Like I I was getting to turn turn five reliably with most of my army left. Um, Now... Once the uh, while we stand change came in, it actually meant that the keepers were no longer points for while we stand, we fight. Uh, and because I'm throwing them forward aggressively in almost every mission, uh, it's sort of I'm, I'm in a situation where I don't lose anything when they die uh, and the Terminators stay alive. So I, I was able to push the keepers forward, and you know, my opponents were spending all this time shooting the keepers. And look, the keepers go down, the keepers die, but the beast, the Lord of Change, is so durable. The Terminators are so durable with uh, delightful agonies on them. And playing around terrain, and you know, I, I guess charging the right things and not letting themselves get hit back with anything that's sort of too powerful in combat. I, I was just finding at the end of every game, I still had the bulk of my army left, and playing with most of your army on turn five, it, it's always a good feeling. So then, would you, if somebody was a new player and they picked up this list because they thought they liked the look of it, would you preach to them to play a patient sort of slow game? Like, is that, is it sort of like an inexorable, you just take your wins where you get them. You try to score a little more on primary every turn, um, score your secondaries, but you're not like, like how aggressive is this list? I guess is what I'm asking. So what I really like about it is you can kind of flip the switch. So you can either play it super, super defensively, uh, or, you know, push forward and really, you know, jam your assets down your opponent's throat. I think that makes it a really good list. Uh, I think if you are new and you want to pick up something like this, uh, it's probably just about getting reps in and getting experience and understanding when you can, you know, really push hard and really you know, go for these sort of knockout punches or when you have to play KG and play defensively. Uh, I think that playing defensively is always the right way to go. I think that re- preserving your assets so you have assets later on in the game uh, is just, you know, it, it, it's the right thing to do in 90% of situations. And when you're doing that, you're also waiting for your opponent to make a mistake. So if you're playing with the keepers at the back of the board, and there were a couple of games where I did this, I played an Admech player with um, a bunch of uh, Castellan robots on a table that had very, very little terrain. I had very few places to move my models that game. Um, and I just, I couldn't go anywhere. So I had to play super, super defensively until the fourth and fifth turn. At that point, there isn't enough time left in the game for him to shoot everything dead. So I can go out and I can play aggressively on those last two turns and just accept that the robots are going to kill a keeper a turn or a unit of Terminators a turn or whatever it may be. Uh, it's really just about uh, understanding how much damage your opponent can do to you and how to mitigate that. But I, I think playing defensively is always the right way to go and preserving your assets is always the right way to go. That's a really great approach. I personally take pretty much the same style. Um, I really like what you've done also in that you have this really powerful threat range army. I have keepers, I have terminators. It's a lot of explosive damage from barely close or like from fairly far away. You know, you can't get too close to it. So a lot of players will use that and follow through on the threat, you know, just like, I'm going to run my keeper straight into you. You're just saying, I'm good where I am. You, If you come near me, I'm going to kill you. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep minding my own business holding these objectives. It's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I think more than ever, like Ninth Edition 40K is not about killing stuff. It's about board control. And this list, it's not, look, it, it, the keepers are fast and the Terminator's deep strike. It doesn't look like it has a whole heap of... Uh, of board control, but when you look at how far the keepers can move and charge things, you look at 
the beast still having heroic intervention plays really well into this as well because you can put them around an objective and your opponent can't just throw you know five obsec intercessors onto that objective and expect to live you know there's a very good chance those beasts with two damages uh, a slap will actually kill five intercessors uh it's just about creating zones of control on the board and then having the terminators come down and you know having a reliable charge means that they've really got to think about when they push out onto objectives uh and obviously the keepers play into that as well as the keepers you know can go like when when you roll the plus two to move plus one to advance and charge trade on a keeper which is one in three games the threat range is enormous even without that the advance and charge threat range is you know is pretty enormous so you just create zones of control on the board where you're asking your opponent to make mistakes and then you get to choose on how you capitalize on those yeah i really like that it's just a total control tempo army which is something chaos often uh plays very well with the just kind of board control they have with warp time and whatnot um did you do you ever like struggle to pick secondaries with this army what are you thinking for secondaries with this one uh i picked a whole whole wide range of things uh over all the games i've played with this so it's uh it's one of those ones where uh, you, you can pick base on your opponent. You can pick base on the mission. Uh, it's surprisingly pretty good at banners. Um, it's only got a couple of infantry units, and it looks like it would be terrible at banners. But you're so strong at holding the objectives that you have that you can put two banners up on the first turn or three. I'd often deploy the Terminator Sorcerer up when uh, in some of the missions where you have three objectives in or just outside your deployment zone. Um, and I'd be able to put three banners up on the first turn and then just protect them for the entire game. Um, while we stand, we fight is situationally very good. There are a lot of times when you can protect the Terminators. Uh, they're actually not likely to get shot because you're throwing Keepers into their face. The Lord of Change uh, very, very rarely dies. Um, so he's a really great uh, you know, unit for while we stand, we fight. Um, I took Mental Interrogation in four or five of the tournament games. Uh, I think I took it once in the Masters event that happened before the, the main uh, Adelaide Uprising event anyway. Uh, he has plus two to cast. He's super hard to deny. Um, in some missions where you don't really need the psychic, you know, the firepower that he puts out or the, the gaze of fate, it's really easy to fly him around the middle of the board, essentially invulnerable casting mental interrogation every turn. Uh, engage on all fronts is another one that this army is really, really good at. When the Terminators drop and charge, um, they are getting into corners every single turn. It's got the unit of nerglings to deploy and try and get one of the corners on the first turn as well. Um, the keepers are super fast and they run up flanks quite often. So engage is probably one of the staples of this list. Um, it, it really plays so many different secondaries well. Again, it's, it's part of the reason why I really like it because it doesn't look like it on paper, but it has the ability to uh, to play a lot of different secondaries. It sounds like you you really do have a total toolbox style army here. Um, everything everything has so many different ways it can play so many different options. I, I personally really enjoy the toolbox style and seems to be working for you. Is that kind of like the style you typically try to design for? Yeah, well, for the majority of uh, the previous edition, I was playing the uh, w- one of the Plague Bearer and Smite lists, and I was bringing some interesting tech into that. And obviously, the change to pregame psychers now and not being able to pick your psychic powers each game, you know, that's a you know a, a nerf to the way that uh, lists are flexible. And I feel like this is still able to play super super flexibly, uh, and I really like that. It just it, it means that I've got different yeah different ways of approaching different problems. That aren't always just kill the big thing that's shooting me. Uh, I've got I've got the, the movement tricks. I've got the uh, the heroic, like I said the heroic intervention on the beast. So I'll, I'll never shut up about it because I think it's absolutely sick. Um, it's a really really cool thing. Um, yeah, I, I just love playing lists that have multiple ways to achieve multiple things, and they've always sort of got you know new bits and pieces coming at you or cool ways to approach a problem. 
Yeah, I do love that idea for ninth edition right now. The game is so healthy. There's just so many different viable armies. Just when you think you figured out the meta, you know, Dark Eldar versus Sisters and Custodies on the top tables of uh, an open. It's cool stuff. So um, back to your list, though. I do think there's pretty light on the OPSEC going on here. Um, and OPSEC is very important to a lot of the way Ninth Edition is played with uh, armies like Space Marines having rights of war, whereas armies designed to seal objectives. So what's the what's the counter to that? Uh so a lot of people have asked me this. I, I, I think it's got enough, personally. <laughs> uh, I, I think that, uh, like I said, Beasts having heroic intervention, Lord of Change having heroic intervention, uh, the two Keepers being able to put them on objectives and heroically intervene as well. That That is kind of my counter there. Uh, obviously, armies with super, super tough obsec are a problem. Um, they can come and steal objectives off me and, and whatever. Uh, but when we're contesting the middle of board objectives, there, there aren't a lot of, you know, tax obsec units that want to come on and, you know, get fought by five beasts and a lot of change or by a keeper. Uh, and when you have got these aggressive elements in your army, you're, you're talking about your, your keepers and your, your terminators pushing forward, uh, it's actually quite hard for your opponent to contest your backfield. Uh, so in my experience, I was finding that, uh, look, especially against armies like Harlequins, where they want to play this sort of game where they fight you and they fall back onto different objectives and things like that, being able to just heroically intervene and take the units out uh, is really, really powerful. The other part of that is that the two Keepers and the two Slanesh Terminator units being uh, Empress Children all have fight first. So when I'm getting charged on objectives, I'm actually going to hit things first. And I'm, you know, it, it, it makes it very, very difficult to actually come and contest these objectives I'm putting non-obsec units on. Yeah, I, I do see that. So basically, you're basically making that... You might get your OPSEC shot off an objective or whatever, but they can't take the objectives away from you with their OPSEC because you'll just heroic intervene or body block the objective or make it really, really hard for them to deal with, basically. Yeah, absolutely right. Yep. That's cool. That's a really interesting approach. I've actually kind of taken a similar approach with my Death Guard, so I think that's a very chaos approach to that problem. We don't have the best troops in chaos, typically, so um, make do with what you got. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's uh, that's exactly it. I, like. I've run. I've got three patrols. I've got three units of troops. One of them's a unit of nerglings. It's pretty useless. The demonettes are pretty useless. Like they're cool because they move seven and you can get onto objectives in the mid board a little bit faster. But look, pretty much, uh, you know, across the board, these troops are pretty average. But uh, it doesn't really matter when your other stuff around those troops can just fight things off objectives anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have another question more to the overall strategy here. So in the variety of games you'll play it differently, but most you'll deep strike the Terminators, or often you will. If your opponent has like an ample amount of screens, like just I have stuff everywhere, solo and region wolves or two-man drones or whatever kind of junk it might be, rhinos, just stuff, does that turn you off from deep striking or do you still plow through? Uh, it, it depends. Uh, again, it depends on terrain. There's, there's often uh, ways to deep strike in and only be sort of seen by a couple of units and then you can spend the turn double shooting with vets you know you know, th- 36 bolter shots and an auto cannon shooting twice with vets and presence does a lot of work and you can actually shoot out a lot of these screens um the other thing is that you can just charge the closest screen to you so you can come down i i played two dark elder armies that were both heavy heavy msu and the terminators would you know they, they deep strike down they'd shoot they'd kill a couple of boats from their shooting and they just charge the closest one and they just use it to get free movement. Um, and then you're in the situation where you've put 
two keepers and a unit of Terminators into your opponent's lines and you still have 10 more Terminators coming down after that, it's actually very hard for them to keep the screen up effectively. And while they're doing that, they're also just not playing the mission. So all the time that they're trying to screen you off uh, you know, fr- from getting this Terminator drop in you know, into their lines and doing the damage that it's going to do, uh, you're moving your beast up onto objectives. You've got the water change in the middle of the board as well, who's threatening you know, whatever it may be that, that they've got coming out at you. And then often in matches like this, when they're so focused on screening out with small units, uh, I'll just take uh, uh, what's called grind them down, the kill more secondary. Uh, and that just plays into that as well. When I'm just killing all these small units they're putting out to, uh, to try and stop me from going places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I really like the, uh, the approach there. John, is there anything you want to ask right now? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of curious. So it seems like your list sort of breaks into the modules a little bit. It sounds like the Beast and the Lord of Change often are deployed together, sort of move together. Is that normally true? Yeah, so it'll depend on the number of objectives in the game. So when there's like, a, so for example, when there's five and there's one central, uh, all the beasts will pretty much just sort of you know, dogpile the middle objective and the water change will hang out with them. Uh, when there's two in the center, so a lot of the missions that have one in your deployment zone, two in no man's land or two in your deployment zone and two in no man's land, one unit of beasts will go one way with a keeper, one will go the other way with water change. Uh, and that provides sort of enough punch that they can't just throw random troops onto that objective and try and, move on to it and, uh, you know, I, I guess steal it off you because then they're getting hit by a lot of change and hit by some beasts or hit by a keeper and hit by some beasts. And and, and those, you know, th- th- those units, th- th- I guess those formations of units are tough enough. They can't just sort of look at them and shoot them down and get rid of them uh, without really, really committing hard. And then when they commit really hard to a flank, you can bring Terminators into that flank and then they're often not going to be screened out correctly because of you know the effort required to commit to shoot five beasts and a keeper dead or five beasts and the order change dead, uh, but that, that, that's kind of the thought process there in the way that they move up and you know I, I guess play together uh, with those yeah those combinations of units. Okay, so would it would if and again bear with me I'm a newer player I guess I can't I got to stop saying that I've been playing for a while now but <laughs> <laughs> um, so is it fair to say that your overall strategy is to dominate the middle objectives your opponent scores his back objectives you score yours right in your deployment zone but you want to own the middle of the board sort of like owning the middle of the board in chess like from there you can reach out and sort of control the flow of the game and you're winning on primary because you control the center this that the sort of basic design of the list yeah uh, uh that's probably a really good way to look at it it's more it's not necessarily controlling the center, but it's the threat of controlling the center. So it's putting units, uh, you know, just back of the center in my deployment zone that have really, really big threat ranges. And then my opponent either makes a choice to contest me for primary, uh, which is often going to feed into my secondaries because if I'm taking things like engage and they're fighting me for the center of the board. I'm going to be able to maneuver things into uh, really easy ways to get engaged and I'm taking their damage threats away from them. Uh, and I'm also doing it with really, really durable units. So it's very hard for them to actually pull these units off the middle of the board as well. Yeah, that was a really good summary, John. Good job. I do have um, some follow-up questions from that. So I imagine your army is super flexible and it wants to control a center. That works great in the objectives where it's like priority targets or direct assault, where you know there's five objectives, one's in the middle, I'm just going to fight over that one, or that four-objective mission you asked earlier. In like vital intelligence or one of the six-objective missions where they're all spread out, um, what's the approach there? 
which one is vital intelligence the one with four along one line and then yeah the four one. diagonal and the one inch zone it's told to yeah yeah so uh i'll leave some stuff on my home objective in that one and i'll just pick a flank of two objectives and i'll fight for one of the flanks so i'll deploy again I, I, the keepers move so fast that i can deploy them conservatively and they can realistically be on either flank by turn two and i'll wait to see what my opponent does with his deployment uh, and I'll just pick a flank and I'll fight for that flank. And what I'll try and do is I'll try and win the two in no man's land and then push forward onto my opponent's home objective. Uh, so I'll often not worry about the other, you know, the other two. I'll just, I'll, I'll play to keep my home objective. I'll play to fight for two in the center and then to push that onto my opponent's home objective. Gotcha. So basically you, you don't fight for all six objectives in any of those missions. You just pick a zone and you control your zone. Yeah. I, I don't have enough stuff to fight for all six. So there's just, there aren't enough units in this army. Um, what I do have is quite tough, but it's, you know, I, I can't fight six objectives. So I, I, I just pick, I, I go after the flank that either gives me the best option in terms of making good charges and getting into stuff that I want to kill, or I'll go for the one that they've uh, not committed enough stuff to that I'm going to easily be able to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find with um, with this many giant bases, keepers, Lord change, 10 beasts of Nurgle, 20 Terminators, just moving your army become very clunky. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> okay. uh, how, how do you manage that? Yeah. Well, be- beasts walk through walls now, so that's super good. Um, that was you know one of the, the the reasons why I think they're really really good now. And a lot of change has fly, so it's really just the keepers. But I, I, I I've become really really good again. This is probably uh, sort of in the last year or so. I've just become really good at planning out my entire turn before I move anything. And just taking a minute, look, not so much in the easier games, but in the harder games, just taking a minute before I move anything and working out where I want everything to end up. Uh, and that really helps me make sure I move things in the right order and move things the right way. Uh, but look, there are certainly, especially with terrain and the way that you know certain terrain features work and the really big bases and the keepers, it's pretty hard. Um, the beast walking through walls now is great because I can just put one dude behind a wall and make myself a bit of space or you know walk, walk places that I couldn't go before. Uh, and a lot of change has fly, so that obviously having fly is a you know a pretty big advantage. I take a a spare base the uh, of the size of a lot of change and the keepers with me, so I can put it down while I'm moving things and make sure I've left enough space if I'm going to fly the lot of change over, for example. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 it's difficult. But again, it just comes down to practice and making sure that you think through your whole turn before you start moving things. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's some beautiful advice as well, just for anyone, not just this army, but it works especially so here. Every turn, try to take a minute and think through like what you want to do, and set some goals for yourself, and then execute them. I think that's just really good advice for 40k, so you don't just start doing stuff without adhering to your overall strategy. Okay, guys, I just had an epiphany. I think I understand how this list works. All right, All right so I, I, I want to I want to try to explain it for our newer players, but basically. You set up such that you tell your opponent, uh, you can come on these middle objectives, but if you do, you're going to get charged. So you kind of give them that option, right? Either they come forward and they get charged, uh, and then you take them off the objectives, and thus you score those objectives, which is great for you. uh, Or they don't, and then you move on to the center objectives and create the same situation. Either way, you're winning on primary. But one of the big strengths of the list is the things that you put on objectives will often, because of their durability and because of the amount of like initiative that you have, like you can deep strike in terminators at the same time that you move stuff onto objectives. So you create a situation where your opponent 
doesn't really have the luxury of clearing you off the objective because of the durability and because of the multiple threats and the threat overload and the speed. And so you create a situation where you get ahead on primary because you know you kind of have this equilibrium where like you get on an objective, the opponent clears you off, they get on the objective, you clear them off, and you kind of st- stay at equilibrium, but your list actually breaks that equilibrium. It'll, it has a lot of ways to do that. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, man, that's a, a, re- a really good way to put it. You've, you, you're a bit more eloquent than I've been able to be, but uh, yeah, that, that's a really, really good way to, to sort of sum it up. Sean showed up to work tonight. He is on fire. Oof, I got it. No, like a lot of times <laughs> yeah, in these man. chaos systems, I just don't understand what's going on. Like, I'll be honest. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a lot of like there's a real beauty in in sort of in, and that's a concept you can apply to ninth edition for a lot of people. If you have durable stuff that you can put on objectives, right? Um, that survives through a turn of what your opponent does, and you you can achieve that by being super durable. You can also achieve that. Uh, by tying your opponent up with a bunch of stuff, like making like coming in at the same time and making them deal with stuff, and and uh, you break primary open, and when you get it, and like if your list is designed well, I feel like you're going to score well on secondaries, right, uh, to a degree. So primary is often a big part of the game. I feel like I don't know, I might be wrong about that. But what do you guys think? I think that's 100% what's happening here. Not to totally speak for Matt, I'll let him clarify. But basically, his army has a variety of secondaries they can just accomplish given the situation, as we already went through. And then, as you just described, he dominates the primary. So, like, what else is there to do? Try stopping him. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. And look, again, I I keep harping on about all the heroic intervention shenanigans that Scott, but armies only have so much obsec. Uh, and if they want to trade with you, even if they are putting things on there that can live, uh, it's not going to be for the whole game. So if they're making the decision to to leave you alone and to let you have primary, that's great for you. And and look, honestly, doing that means you put scoreboard pressure on early, and a lot of players will get tilted when they're you know you get two turns of fifteen early in the game, and they're playing you know twenty points behind. Even if the game is still very very winnable for them at that point, players will go on tilt because they're twenty points down in the primary on you know at the start of their turn three. Uh, and it's you know it, it's looking pretty dark. Um, and then if they are trading their obsec with you and you're killing it, look, you know certain armies you know come to mind where they've got lots and lots and lots of durable obsec. Uh, but most you know most competitive armies that I'm seeing don't have you know, that sort of level. They can afford to do this every single turn and throw units onto both objectives. You know every single turn that are going to live through five beasts and a lot of change fighting them. So question, how many of your opponent's plans were dashed on just the durability of the list? Where they like formulated a plan, they started to execute it, and then like two-thirds of the way through their turn, like it turns to salt in their mouth, like into ash in their mouth, they're just like, oh, this isn't gonna work. I'm actually not gonna clear that objective. Did that did that happen a lot? Yeah. <laughs> quite quite a few times. Um I played Harlequins twice, and uh both times they kept throwing troops onto the uh the objective my beast was sitting on and the beasts just pile in, pop the, the one CP for mortal wounds on sixes and paste an entire unit of Harlequin troops. Um, like that, 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 that's a really big swing when they're throwing, you know, a, a super expensive unit with obsec onto that, expecting to get it off you. And then you pile in and you fight them and you kill them. And they can't even do the whole strike and fall back thing because your beasts take up the entire, you know, the, the entire size of that objective, like five, five sixty mil bases covers off the entire, you know, 40 mil marker and three inch aura around that. So they can't even fight you and fall back uh, and keep models on the objective because you're always going to be in range of them. Um, I played two Dark Elder players as well. Um, both were just throwing racks at me 
And then the exact same thing was happening is I was spending more CP on the Mortal Wound strat for, for the beasts in those games because they were throwing five racks onto this objective thinking they were going to get it off me. And then I would just turn around and I'd eat those five racks. And then it would be the start of my next turn. And all of a sudden he's gone from thinking I'm getting a five for primary to me getting a 15. Uh, it just, yeah, it, that, that was a, a recurring theme while I was playing this because just having that ability to, you know, deny those obsec units that are jumping onto the objective with you from achieving what they're trying to achieve was really, really powerful. This is a lot of what made uh, makes Custody so strong as well because they can just intervene or Space Wolves. Heroic interventions on units is tremendously powerful these days because a lot of competitive play is just, I'm going to throw a cheap expendable obsec and steal an objective from you to deny you five points, maybe get my domination or something or engage in all front, and you can just kill them right off for trying. Like, beasts don't hit hard, but they hit hard enough to mess with, you know, junk. So that's pretty cool. Absolutely. That, that's it. It's not only do they sort of, they, they do enough damage to kill, you know, small obsec units like that, but they're, they're basically invulnerable to random space marines fighting them or random racks fighting them or, you know, just these, these random little obsec units that people throw onto objectives. The, the beasts are essentially invulnerable to that sort of damage. I even buffed up groups of Harlequin troops will kill maybe two. Uh, you know, it's uh, they, they're really, really great for that. Um, I, I really, really like them in the list for yeah for that reason. Yeah, they're not too expensive. They're only one seventy five for each of those units. Beasts are super underrated right now. Absolutely, I think they're they're so so good. F- five wounds of T five with you know two levels of save for thirty five points a model is just uh, it, it's really really strong. Now, Matt, I know you. I know you deep and personal. You are a mad genius out there with this chaos stuff. Was this an army that, like, you kind of wrote out the first time and then you never, you just kind of tweaked it a little bit? But, you know, this is like issue number one, or was this the product of, like, trials and tribulations? Uh, so, with the Terminators, I played three games before this, uh, this major. Um, sorry, I played four games. So I played one game against my good friend, Adam Camilleri, uh, at my mate's place while he was cooking us pasta. It was a delicious dinner. Thanks. Uh, thanks Jeremy. It was fantastic. Um, we played one game there. Uh, it was really, really good. I had an RTT the next day. I actually resubbed my list for the RTT the night before and took myself out of contention for winning it because the list was so powerful and I wanted to play it again. Um, I played three games the following day, uh, and scored three, three one hundreds, just absolutely, you know, tore it up. I was just amazed by how powerful this list was. And then I made a few more tweaks and took it to the, the GT and to, uh, sorry, to the, the, the major and to the, the Masters event before that. Um, I, I haven't played it very much, but I sort of knew what the units did. Uh, and once I sort of put it all together, I, I, was, I was actually getting better with the list as the event went on because I hadn't played enough games with it before I started playing it. I was finding little synergies that I wasn't really, you know, u- using the full effect uh, to begin with. Uh, but yeah, th- th- this is really just me taking the core of the order change, the keepers and the beasts, and adding in what I think is some of the most efficient stuff in the Chaos Space Marine book at the moment, and finding a middle ground where it all sort of fits together nicely. Was there anything you think you'd maybe change about it with more experience now? Uh, I really want a couple of combi melters on one of the Terminator units. There were a few times where I feel like I could have really used some combi melters. Um, I'm not really sure where the points come from. I feel like everything else is pretty good. Um, I was really umming, umming and ahhing. Uh, about making a couple of changes. I really wanted one fiend as well to stop people from falling back in the Slanesh detachment. I love solo fiends. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I wanted it so badly and I just, I wasn't sure if... um I, I was considering dropping the Nurglings down to some Brimstones and dropping one Terminator to get the fiend in there. Uh, but the Nurglings were so good at getting me engaged on the first turn and then 
being in the way and something my opponent has to shoot at. Like It's not hard to kill three Nurglings, but it's annoying when they're on the opposite side of the board to the rest of your army. Often your opponent's long-range firepower is all quite, you know, it's, it's quite good firepower and they want to be shooting that into the beasts or into the, the keepers. Um, so people have really got to commit to kill these three Nurglings and it's just super annoying. So I was thinking about making that change as well. But again, I kept writing these lists and I, look, t- to be fair, I haven't played with any major variation of this one yet. So I'm not sure you know, if there is a better way to do this. But to me, it feels like this is, you know, a really, really good version of the Lord of Change, the Keepers and the Beast's core with, yeah, the plug-in of these super efficient Terminators as well that kind of fill in some holes in that list and, you know, provide uh, just, you know, an- another really, really strong level of threat layer that uh, you just get to bring in with the, uh, the other elements of the army. Makes a little sense to me. Yeah, I think those are great options for the list. But like you said, you know, it, it broke, don't fix it. So he did just bring home the the big old tournament. So I don't think it's too urgent. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't think it can kill Morty, though. So I think that's going to be a problem. I'm not sure how I'm going to tackle that problem true. yet. Morty's a, a big bad beast for this one. <laughs> Do you think Death Guard offer any ally options themselves for, for your stuff, like the Foul Blight Spawn? I've been trying to write lists with it. Um, I've actually been writing a few Death Guard lists for one of my uh, my coaching clients. Um, and I've written some really, really cool ones, but I can't find any plugins for this list. The biggest problem is, firstly, uh, like a lot of people just think that plugging Morty into it would be a really good change for the Keepers, but because he has to be Warlord, he makes a lot of change pretty average. Um, then it's like, which detachment do you drop to get you know actual Death Guard stuff in there? I really like the... Um, the bloat drones, because they play into the whole heroic intervention, you know, mid-board control strat with their six-inch heroic intervention stratagem, or really anything with the, uh, I think it's Mortarian's Anvil that has the uh, the heroic intervention strat for any, you know, for any unit. Uh, but I keep looking at it, and it's like the detachment structure of this list is kind of set, and it kind of has to be the way that it is. So any small change is actually a really, really big change, and it's sort of shuffling everything in the list to try and make it fit. So I think this list is sort of the way that it is and anything that I change, you know, with the Death Guard release will probably just be its own list and will sort of be yeah, constructed it's, as its own list. There's no real, like, small changes to, like, taking out a small portion requires ruining the whole thing, the way this list is set up. Yeah, so points-wise, Mortarian can sub in for the two Keepers, but then your Lord of Change is average and it's like, at that point, is it worth having him? And then you've sort of lost those those super fast threats you had in the keepers and it, it just becomes a different list very quickly. Yeah. Makes total sense to me. Um, any thought about, uh, massaging the points and dropping the Lord of change and putting the Mortarian in? Uh, well, it, it doesn't work on detachments, so I can't have the Empress children, the Sledesh detachment and Mortarian and still have beasts and things like that. Gotcha. Uh, and it, it, it just, yeah, if it was a fourth detachment, it'd be great because there'd be ways to do things, but, Unfortunately, as it is with with chaos lists, a lot of the times, like three detachments, is a is a bit of a limit, and also it can't play with any less CP. It's already playing with very very small amounts of CP, and you have to be super. Let's talk about that for a second. The CP management in general that's really tough for chaos. And your list has a lot of places to spend them in those terminators. So what's the approach there? So I start with five. I never let myself spend any on the first turn unless it's, you know, something that I absolutely, absolutely have to do. So in one game, I spent the the one CP for the double mortal wound strat on an opponent's Psyker and it did kill the, it killed the Psyker and that Psyker was, uh, you know, quite relevant to the game. Um, so I, I'll, I'll almost never spend CP on the first turn. Um, 
given that, you know, by turn two, when the first thing the Terminators comes in, I generally have seven. I can afford the, you know, the two for double shoot, the one for vets, the one for honor the prince. That's four. It puts me down to three. And then on my turn three, I'll then get another one for four. So I have the option to use that four CP combo again. Um, that was sort of the, the, the original version of the list I wrote didn't actually have the water change in there for this reason because I wanted one more CP. But I just decided that, you know, I, I've been playing this game for a long time and I can just be super, super disciplined about what I spend my command points on. Um, and that's really hard. Like, you know, there are there are times where you're going to want to reroll a save. Like, you know, Lord of Change ate a, a Reaper shot from a, you know, a Dark Elder player in one game. And it was like, you know, that that, that shot rolled, you know, what, what is it? Eight damage? Seven damage? It's D3 plus four. Three plus yeah, four you rolled seven damage. So it became six. And like, oh, I would almost always reroll that. You know, the threat of potentially taking that much damage on a really important part of your army. Uh, I'd almost always, yeah, take the reroll on the three plus invol. It's a you know, really good odds of getting a return for your command point there. Uh, but I just had to be super, super disciplined in what I spent the command points on. Um, and look, there were times when I wanted to double shoot Terminator. That's, but I didn't. That's a tough call to make. <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely, a hundred percent. But uh, it's one of those things where I, I, I sort of consciously realized a couple of years ago I was, you know, I was pretty bad at that. I would just spend command points I shouldn't have been spending, and then I'd end up without any left at the end of the game. But it's about, again, identifying what your win condition is. And if your win condition is Terminators come down, shoot twice, kill units A and B, charge units C, kill units C, you have to make sure you've got command points left for that. The other thing, I, oh, sorry, just quickly, the other thing that's really important to note is with the lightning claws rerolling all the wounds, Vets is actually very unimportant in combat. Uh, it matters a lot against things that are T8. So going from sixes to fives, it matters a lot for, it matters a lot if you're, if you're fighting one big thing. So in one of my games, I played a Tyranid player with the, I think it's the Barbed Hyrajul, the 22 wound to up save dude at T8. Yeah. You, you, you need vets for that because you need a wound on fives, not sixes. But when you're just hitting, like I, I got two combats against Vanguard veterans, for example, wounding on threes versus wounding on fours with four rerolls, it's a 75% chance to wound versus an 88% chance to wound. Like the, the one CP it just isn't worth it with that sort of bulk of attacks going in there. Um, but you don't actually need the vets in combat as much as people, you know, sometimes think that you do. And then deciding, you know, I'm going to spend one CP to vets now while I'm shooting. I'm actually going to get more back for that than I am in combat because of the inherent rolls to wound on the lightning force. Yeah. And like one CP goes so far in chaos. Like out of the prince plays on turn four, turn five to make stuff happen. Like you can do a lot if you just don't spend frivolously early. Absolutely. I honored the prince with cultists twice, actually, on turn five to make a big charge and get into objectives. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> it didn't actually matter. Like it, it, neither of those games were sort of depending on those cultists to get in. Do you get that one CP back in turn five? Absolutely right. Yeah, you, you, you roll that cultist charge, you fail, but you know what? All of a sudden, those cultists are charging 12 inches and they're obsec and they're getting me a 15 for primary on the last turn because they made a big charge. Beautiful. Well, I got to know, what was the situation that you got to break your, your no CP code? If it wasn't a Reaper shooting a Lord of Change... What was the psycho that you killed? Uh, it was a Shadow Seer that was uh, one de- was like, denying me. <laughs> well, it was his only deny, and I had mental interrogation. Um, and it was obviously giving all the troops minus six inches to be shot, and the Terminators don't like that. Um, so yeah, get, killing killing that Shadow Seer with the uh, the two D three mortal wounds was pretty uh, was pretty good. That's gross. I would feel so bad if I was that player. I just that would that would that would tilt me pretty hard. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, that'd be like the end of the game. I, I love that stratagem so much. It's so great. People are just, yeah, yeah. P- p- people always look at you funny when you say, "Are you going to CP that?" After they you know they roll their perils and then you tell them, "Yeah, that'll be uh that'll be two D three mortal wounds." Thanks, mate. And 
psychers go pop and psychers blow up and kill things around them. It's, it's great. It's a, it's a fantastic strategy in that one. Okay, and a very special announcement, everyone. Uh, we're not going to be putting ads on the podcast anymore, so no more annoying. I don't even know. I don't even know what the ads are, you know, banking ads or whatever. Instead, we're going to support our primary sponsor, which is the Frontline Gaming, uh, which obviously you've heard of. And so this week, we're going to talk about their new Ex- Events 2021 Express Pass. Nick, tell them what they get. So this Express Pass gets you a pass to any three conventions or or gaming things run by Frontline Gaming. So BAO, SoCal, LVO, if they ever add more, maybe, maybe not, probably, I guess, I hope. Spoilers, Um, there's a ton coming down the pipe, so go ahead. (laughs) So you get your choice of three of them with this Express Pass. It saves you an average of 23% across all the different events. You get a whole bunch of other stuff. You get early registration. And it's good through the end of the year. So, and it's it's actually, I think there's 14 major 40k events to choose from. So, you guys get your express pass, save some money, guarantee your spot. Like it's like it, these, but what are, I want more of these, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Why do I only get three? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's a big thanks. Uh, we couldn't have done this without you guys. You guys support us, and we didn't want to support you back by supporting the community. So instead of showing you ads of whatever the hell you were listening to. Now you're going to just have frontline gaming and they're, that, that's good for the hobby. Well, and, and they're our primary sponsor. So we definitely want to, they, they really help make this go. Okay. It's that special time of the episode where I tell you all that we're going to be moving over to part two. And for those of you that aren't familiar with our podcast format, format part two is where we get into the nitty gritty, dirty details of optimal play. We're going to talk about, how to spend those precious command points in individual matchups. We're going to talk about how to deploy. Uh, we're going to talk. We're going to just going to talk about how to play the list optimally. And so, if you like this list and you want to learn about high level play, you should come join us over on part two. And that's available to patrons or at theartofware40k.com. Either one, uh, and we'll see you there. So, for patrons, we'll see y'all in part two. For everyone else, we'll see y'all next week. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.